0: ago I came uh feeling really impressed by the Lord to talk about the building of the temple and uh we know that there are several natural temples that were built uh Solomon comes to mind and how glorious that was, and how wonderful it was and I kind of likened it to some sand, if you remember and I said uh I had some sand in a bag that I'd gotten down at the river and um we talked about the sand uh, and, and then I had a vase from Simon Pierce, and uh, it had the mark of the author on it, uh, stamped on the bottom of it, who made it. And uh, it was an expensive vase, remember. I, it was given to me for so many years at the place that I work, and I get to pick and choose it, and I was kind of wow, wowed about how expensive it was. But nonetheless, uh, you know, and then we talked about the transition, how to make the sand into the vase. How how does this get to be that? And we talked about extreme heat, right? We talked about firing the sand until it was liquid. And we talked about how that sand now became a vessel. And I had another vessel made out of plastic. And it looked almost the same. You know, if you put them on the counter at night with low light, they kind of look almost identical. The handles were similar and the little spout thing that you... Four out of was similar. They were very different weights, but you couldn't tell. And then I took the cross of Jesus Christ and I, I put it in the vase. And I said, "Can can these people that look at our lives can they see Jesus? People on the outside looking in, can they see Jesus?" And one of the one of the vases that was plastic, it got made through a blow molding process, and it's pretty instantaneous, right? It was pretty inexpensive. You could get it at Walmart, but it was very functional. problem is when you put the cross of Jesus inside the vase, you couldn't see it. And so we held up a sign on the outside of the vase that said, Jesus is inside, saying, well, if we are temples of the Holy Spirit and you uh, put a t-shirt on you outside that says something about Jesus, for that reason... Uh, it doesn't qualify as being a temple of the Holy Spirit the way God has described it, but only those that have been through the fire, only the authentic uh, is really the the temple of the Holy Spirit in the day that we're in and so, as we put the cross of Jesus inside, I kept asking the question over and over again, Can you see Jesus and that really is the uh the continuation of today's message. Uh, of the building of the temple, part two. And um, the thing that I'm so aware of is uh, the transition from the natural over to the spiritual. You know, in the days of old, wars were won in natural uh, by the strength of armies and the wisdom of generals and the strategy from heaven that David inquired every single time he uh, went out to war. Uh, for God's strategy. Gideon is another one that comes to mind. Strategies from heaven. And so it was very uh, natural in those days, but in the days that we're in, uh, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so the transition from a natural person over into the spirit is one of the greatest, uh, most significant things that God is still doing today. Transitioning uh, individual people just like you and just like uh, our friends uh, into spiritual places. What for? Why? Why Why would it be the spiritual places and not the natural like it was in the days of old? It's not natural Israel. It's spiritual Israel. It's not natural fighting. It's spiritual fighting. For taking our weapons of warfare are not natural, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in the pulling down of strongholds, Right? And so we see over and over again in the New Testament how there's a change to the spiritual temple. The spiritual temple that's not made with hands, but, or, but created by God. Every single, every single part of you that you are, the transition over into spiritual, that we can ascertain, that we can understand, that we can see what's going on in spiritual places, that we have the, the ability by the wisdom of God and the authority of Jesus Christ to go into heavenly places, know what's available in heavenly places, draw them onto the earth to display the goodness of God. Amen. The transformation of the natural man into spiritual, it's a place that's so important to touch God's heart and spend time dealing not not spending time dealing with natural things. It's good to be trained up it's good to memorize Scripture. But the most important thing is to find the transition over into the spiritual places. I think probably anyone who has been following the Lord for any length of time experiences something so overwhelming in their life at some point in time. And for most of us, it seems to be one overwhelming thing after another, right? I mean, I'm telling your story now. It's... it's loved ones that are not serving the Lord. It's people that we care about, maybe facing death experiences. Maybe it's a medical issue, cancer or heart issues. Maybe it's losing a job. Maybe it's moving your home. Maybe it's whatever it is. It seems like there are great trials that are going on in our lives. And it's important that we understand the purpose of the trials. It seems like we're following in the footsteps of some of the great men of faith. Uh, Us as individuals, Abraham, uh, trials, enormous trials, uh, uh, Isaac, uh, even Jacob, Joseph being sold into slavery into a land that he didn't really want to be in, not understanding his own dreams were being played out in his own life. He didn't make the connection until much later. Uh, People like Gideon, who gave up, really, and found themselves hiding in caves just to uh, be saved from the Midianites, right? Because the Midianites were plundering the land in that day that he was in. And he was looking for a Savior. He was looking for somebody to change everything for him, right? Joshua, trying to follow in the footsteps of, of his brother, You know, trying to figure out how do I lead this people, Aaron, same thing. And then God telling him, well, now you're it. You know, you're it. Can you imagine the struggle that Joshua as a man went through just in daily life? Trying to figure out this fiery trial that I'm in, these things that I'm struggling with personally. How do I lead a nation? How do I lead a people across the river to inherit a land that I know God said is mine to inherit? But I've never done this before. There's no book. There's no college. There's no place where I can go and be trained up and figure this out. Yes, I've had my brother. Yes, I've had Aaron. Yes, I've had family members. But now, I'm in the midst of the trial. The amazing thing is, he didn't do everything perfectly. But there was a day, I think it's in Ezekiel, that he went before the Lord. And Satan was there to accuse him at his right side. And what did the Lord say? The Lord said, I've picked him out personally. The same is true for us today. The Lord knows us by name. And He's saying in the day that we're in to come to higher spiritual places to come to places that aren't trying to figure it out at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, of the trial that we're in. But He's saying, come higher. I've ordained the day that you're in. I've called the day that you're in to be as it is that you would find the spiritual breakthrough. Such is the same for the men of old. God is the same yesterday, and today, and forever forever. Gideon and Paul. Timothy. Can you imagine James, the brother of Jesus, who couldn't figure out who he was in life until after his brother died on the cross and trying to figure out, boy, I can't get my head around this. James. We're talking about James, Jesus' brother, who when Jesus died and appeared in front of them in the days and weeks to follow the cross, he came to believe. And he was one of the strongest believers. He was the heading up the church in Jerusalem. He had enormous he had enormous responsibility, but he had to find the place of faith. He had to find the place of believing. He had to find the place where yes it was his brother that he was raised with all of those years. But now it was the Lord, the Savior of of mankind. And it was, how do I develop a relationship now with uh, the Lord whom I can't see anymore? I was raised all these years with Him. Right? So men of faith had the same struggles that we do. When we look at where they started versus where they end up, what an amazing testimony and a confirmation of who God is. Such is the same for our lives. I'd like to look at one of my more favorite stories in the Bible of Jacob. Jacob has an amazing story. I want to pick the story up when Jacob and Esau were, they weren't young lads. They were fairly older in their, I think they were 70, 75 years old. Uh, and this story is picked up. And their father Isaac was getting along in age and, uh, one of them was going to inherit the birthright, right? Inherit the blessing. Inherit the, you know, I mean two-thirds, I think I've heard, uh, goes to the firstborn. And that was not Jacob. And so Jacob and his mom devise a plan. We know the story. And he tricks his father and he goes in and he receives a blessing while Esau is out hunting for the meat and the stew, right? And uh, he comes back in. And uh, he prepares the stew and he goes in to his father and he says, here I am, Dad. And he's like, who are you? And he's, well, I'm, I'm Esau. Well, you can't be. I just blessed Esau. And so as the story unfolds, Esau thinks that Jacob stole his birthright. Well, I'm asking you, did he steal it? Did Jacob steal his birthright? Did he, did he not have the right to go and do and trick His Father and inherit that blessing. As we see it unfold this morning, no one, no one, no person, no demon, no principality can alter the course that God has set you on. Can't steal your blessing. Can't steal your birthright. Can't steal the prophetic anointing over your life. Can't steal the prophetic word over your life. Can't be done. We find out later... That God said, uh, He said, uh, Esau I hated, but Jacob I loved, because the blessing with which the Father blessed him. Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, I will kill my brother. And then a little bit later on in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 14, he says, Pursue peace with all people. And holiness, without, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble among you. And by this many have become defiled. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, talking about Esau being a fornicator and a profane person. Afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance. So we understand that Jacob didn't steal away the blessing. God created a situation. Why was he profane? Why was he rejected by God? Why did Esau, being the first birthright, why is it that that God didn't come down and judge Jacob harshly for such an act. God tells us that there be any profane person among you like Esau. So it's clear God thinks that Esau is a profane person. What did he mean by that? He means that he didn't, Esau didn't have the heart to value what God was doing in his life. He didn't have the understanding of the value of what God was offering. And he treated it as common. He treated it as as plain. It's not really worth fighting for. It's something that he wanted to inherit in a microwave kind of way because those were the laws of the land. He didn't want it. What he was mad about, and it, though he sought it with tears, he was mad that his brother Jacob had, given, had been given something that he thought was his. And he was mad about Jacob having the heart to go after something that was precious and priceless so are these days and as so as we'll find out as the story unfolds Jacob didn't steal Esau's blessing the Lord rejected Esau from receiving it no one can ever steal your blessing no one can ever take something away from you that God has decided is yours the problem is we're waiting for it we're waiting the prophetic words over our lives, over our region, over our pastors, over this, over this upper valley, over our homes. We're waiting for the prophetic word to come and to be revealed in the experience of our lives. So we're waiting. It might seem like maybe somebody has stolen it away or God has changed his mind, but he hasn't. Those words are just as strong and valid today in God's heart as the day He spoke it over your life and into your life, through your family. What does it mean that He found no place of repentance? Instead of recognizing the apathy in His heart, the indifference, the I don't care, the oh, it's mine because I hold a position of the first birth, I'm entitled to it. Instead of recognizing the apathy in his heart and repenting over it, he could only see Jacob's fault. These are older men, 70, 75 years old, grown up together, lived together. He could only see Jacob's fault for it, and with the tears were not tears of repentance for his own sin, but they were tears of anger and frustration. Because he said, it's recorded, our father is old when our father dies. Then I'll kill my brother Jacob. Instead of getting hold of God and saying, what is wrong with my heart? I feel angry. I feel like I want to kill him. Instead of getting hold of God for that, all he could do is see his his own selfish desire, his own selfish birthright, where God had rejected him. What a fearful thing to be rejected by God. What a fearful place. It's to stand, to know that you're rejected, even if you have the sense to know it, which probably you don't. Let's get back to the good part of the story. So Jacob knows that his brother wants to kill him, and his mother devises a plan. He said, go into the distant land, uh, of where your uncle is, and live there, and I'll send you word. So Jacob agrees, he gets Isaac's blessing, he's off on the journey across the desert. He gets to a certain place, and he grabs a stone, right? He grabs a stone, and he's laying down on the stone, and he's sleeping on the stone all night. And while he's sleeping on the stone, he has a dream, a very prophetic dream, a dream that would guide all of the remaining years of his life. Jacob's not a spiritual person at this point. Jacob isn't serving God at this point. His father is. His father's fathers were. But he's not. In Genesis chapter 28, we pick the story up and it says, Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, this is the dream that He's having, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. Notice God didn't say, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't say that. He said, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham and your father Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done all of what I have spoken. Remember, Jacob was fleeing for his life. Jacob was going to a distant land to meet uh, his uncle to be married. He had no interest in going back. There was death there. His brother was going to kill him. But God says, I'm going to bring you back to this land. And until that time, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Then Jacob responds in, in Genesis 28-20. Then Jacob made a vow. This dream so impressed him. In other words, the, the, the prophetic word that was being released over his life so moved him that he said this, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and keep me in this way that I am going. In other words, he had no intention to turn back. He had already made his decision. I'm going to another land. Keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat, and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. So basically what he's saying is, God, I believe this dream that I had. As a matter of fact, I think this is the gate I found, the gate of heaven itself, he said. He had such an experience in the spiritual places that he said, this is absolutely amazing. However, my plans are the same. And God, if you will be with me and feed me and preserve my life, And bring me back to this land, then you will be my God. After 20 years, so he goes into Haran. He meets his uncle Laban, right? He falls in love with a pretty young girl, 75, right? So that gives me hope that I've got a lot of time left (laughs) to uh, fulfill the promises of God. Right? Not You don't go this way when you're 75. Jacob was still going this way. He was still working. He was still laboring. He was still thinking about planning. He was still thinking about, wow, I've got a lot of time left. So that gives me hope. Who else was over 100 years old? Right? So I don't want to get to 65 or 70 and say all right, I've fulfilled what God said to do. I want to make it to a hundred. Make it to those ages that are incredible in the days that we live. Then the Lord said to Jacob, so, so let me lay this out. So Jacob now is 95 years old. Can you imagine? 95 years old. And he's laboring in the land. Laban and his family, he has two wives now, and he has camels and sheep and donkeys and more numerous than his uncle had. And now, all of a sudden, at 95 years old, after he's really well established, now there's conflict between Laban and, and Jacob and not sure how much longer he can even stay in that household. And not sure how he's going to resolve it. Not sure how the story's going to play out. Because 20 years earlier, he left his father's house under the threat of death. Is this going the same place? Is this going to turn out the same way? don't know. So then God shows up again in Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. That's all he said. Return to the land. So Jacob starts off on a journey back returning to the land of his fathers. Trouble is, he didn't hear that Esau had died yet or uh, anything about it. All he knew was 20 years earlier he'd left out of a, a family confrontation where Esau says, I'm going to kill you. And God says to go back to that land. Can you imagine the struggle that Jacob had all the way back? It was a long journey back. When you look at it on the map, it's hundreds of miles. And now he has a family. He has herds. He can't just go like he came. It takes weeks longer to travel. And on the way back, he's thinking to himself, God told me to do it. I have to obey. It's my heart to obey. It's my passion to obey. I don't really know this God. I haven't really had the experience of my fathers and their fathers. But I've had enough experience to know that when God tells me to do something, I've got to do it. And all the way back, he was thinking, I need a plan. I need a plan. I need a plan. And eventually, he comes to the east side of the Jordan. And now the smell of the Jordan is in the air. And he's thinking, on the other side of that Jordan is my brother. What do I do? And so the trial in his life was, I'm going to split up my family. And if, if he kills part of us, he won't get us all. So he took his favorite, uh, his, the wives and the children, and he goes across the brook that night. And he stays on one side. And he wrestled with God. Now, how do you wrestle with God? Is it possible to wrestle with God and win? We're talking about God who created everything you and I see and everything we don't see. We're talking about the words of prophecy that go out of God's mouth and don't return void, have the power and the authority to accomplish it. We're talking about God all powerful. How do you wrestle with God, much less win? What an amazing story! That God, that Jesus, the angel of the Lord, it says the angel of the Lord Jesus, came to wrestle with Him. Could not God, the angel of the Lord, squashed Him in a second? But they wrestled all night. Have you ever wrestled with your kids and it's to the point when my kids were young? You know, Aaron, I would wrestle with him. And sometimes I'd let him win. Right? Sometimes he was like six, seven years old and my goodness, you could see the esteem rising up in my, I beat my dad. I beat my dad. Mom, mom, guess what? And you could see the confidence rising in this little kid or playing checkers or chess. Nowadays, I can't let him win. I have to when we play checkers or chess, I have to like really pay attention. But in those days, he wasn't developed, and so I'm just likening it to Jacob wrestling with God. God could have overpowered him in a second. But he didn't. Why? Because there was something that was so important to God in that wrestling with Jacob that it lasted all night long. It lasted all night. And so I'm submitting to you, do you feel like you're wrestling with God? It's ordained by God. Do you feel like you've been trying to get a hold of the Word? Because if you don't, Death awaits you. I've felt that way in these past couple of years. Maybe for five years. God, I have to get a hold of You. There are are things that are bigger than life that I have to face. And I don't want to. And I've tried everything I can do to run away from it and not to face the trial. I've tried going to distant lands I've tried going to distant places, tried to convince my boss of new jobs, tried to convince his boss, on and on and on, and I find myself wrestling with God, but God, this is what your word says. And so let's pick this story up in Genesis 32, uh, 22. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them over, uh, sent them over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the hip of his socket, the, the, the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint and he still wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said, what is your name? Let's pause there for a moment. When Jacob's hip was put out of joint, it was terribly painful. Terribly painful. So much so that For the remainder of his life, he would walk with a limp. Very, very painful. I don't know if you've ever had a joint out of, out of a a bone out of joint, but it is excruciating, terribly painful, and all you can think about is how do I let this pain, how do I make this pain go away, how do I get myself in a position where the pain stops? Have you been experiencing pain? Would you uh, would you have assumed that it's easier to let go? Jacob could have let go. It would have been less painful for Jacob to let go than it would be to hang on. When the Lord touched his hip socket and put it out of joint, intense pain ringed through his body. It would have been easier for him to let go and say, I've had enough. Whatever awaits me on the other side of that Jordan, so let it be. But I can't wrestle with you anymore. This is too painful. Jacob's heart was not that way. Even though he was in intense pain, he says, I'm not going to let you go. Something's going to happen today, or I die, and you kill me. Something's going to happen tonight. I'm not going to let you go until something happens to change the sequence of events that I have dreamed about for weeks, that I've dreaded, that I have been the last thing in the world I want to achieve, I want to walk through, seeing my family slaughtered before me through an angry brother because I was perceived to steal his blessing. And by the way, I've sent out people ahead of me and the report that comes back is that he has 400 men and they're armed and they're trained and they're ready for war. So Jacob knew that. And he's still hanging on to God amidst the pain and the suffering. How many times have we thought to ourselves, it's easier to give up. It's easier to go live some other life and move away into some distant land and just live out the remaining of our days. You haven't done that. You've decided to stay where God has planted you in the region that you're in, with your job that you're in, with your family, whatever it is. Your specific story is different than mine, but it's really the same story. You're wrestling with God, working it out, refusing to not be blessed. God, Your Word over this, your word over my life, your word that you spoke in, I still believe it. And I'm willing to wrestle and wrestle and stand and stand and stand until you touch me. So we pick the story back up in 27. So he said to him, what is your name? The Lord knew what Jacob's name was. But he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Jacob means supplanter, trickster. It means things that you, not everybody wants to be associated with. The thing is, Jacob had to come to a place acknowledging who he was in the natural. Jacob had to face himself before God was going to perform a miracle. God had... God caused Jacob to acknowledge his own name and who he was. His weakness. The natural man of who he was. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. When I've done something terribly wrong and I brush my teeth that night, the last thing I want to do is look into the mirror and see the face of a person who just for a moment doesn't have the blessings of God. The favor of God. Now the favor of God doesn't depart from you. It's not like that. I'm just sharing with you when I've done a sin and I know I haven't made it right. I don't want to look at myself. I want to do what Esau did. I want to blame somebody. I want to be a victim. I want to be a victim. I want it to be somebody else's fault. Somebody else's problem like Esau. But instead, the Lord is so kind and so so compassionate that He doesn't allow too much time to go by and He says, What is your name? What is your name? And Jacob says, to, He says, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have What an amazing, what an amazing story. You have struggled with God and men and you have prevailed because in the very season of time when it was easier for you to let go, easier to detach, you wouldn't let me go until I issued and imparted the next phase of your life. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and men and have prevailed. Israel came to mean prince with God, contender with God, one who strives with God, that God may preserve. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. He didn't know who he was struggling with. He didn't know the nature and the character of God. And he said, why do you ask me my name? And then he blessed him there. And it doesn't say that he, God ever revealed to him that my name is the Lord. The pain of holding on. How, how bad do you want God's favor? The pain of holding on may be more painful than letting go. Some people let go and forfeit their blessing like Esau did. Thank God you're still holding on. Thank God you're still pressing in, believing for the promise of God to be in and through your life. Thank God that you haven't stopped serving Him. That you haven't reached out that that knot that's in your gut of the passion, thank God you haven't walked away from that. Because the blessings are still intended to be given by God. Amen? It's not like you can wrestle with God and overpower Him. That would be like manipulation or twist His arm or coerce Him. No. But in the days we're in, God wants to know how important is this blessing to you? Are you willing to sell it? Are you willing to give it away? Walk away from it? Water it down? No, God. For me and my house, I want everything, God. And this struggle that it seems like we're in right now, this struggle, heaven is saying, will you hold on? Will you hold on until I come and change everything in the allotted time? He's, he's still a little afraid, a lot afraid. He's not sure how this is going to turn out. God didn't tell him how it was going to turn out. He just wrestled with God all night. It doesn't say he was wrestling with God to change the situation with his brother. It doesn't say that. It says he wrestled Five four six, not by a Tells his men to uh, say, you know, my Lord Jacob is coming, uh, finally meets him, bows down a bunch of times before he gets there. How painful that had to have been. A man whose hip socket is out of joint to bow down to the ground and to get back up alone had to have been a miracle every time with the intense pain he had to have been. He was walking with a limp best he could. He was meeting his brother Can I be your God? Can I be your God, Jacob? That's what God is saying to you. He's saying, I have held up my end of the bargain. I protected you. The thing with your brother turned out okay. It's a blessing. You wrestled with me. You've got a new name. Your new nature. You're a spiritual man now. Am I your God? Am I now your God? Amen. Yes. In closing, I want to give you Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. So I say to you ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For whoever you continue to wrestle with God. Perhaps if you continue to stay in the place where God has sent you, wherever that is, it's not a physical building, it's not a room that has green carpet. Wherever God has planted you, and in that place that you're struggling, perhaps, just perhaps, you get a name change. And you get to the James Spiritual blessing. Prophesy. will of knowledge of good and evil come and try and convince you even the changes you're making in your life are wrong nonsense because the word of my God says that he is going to use everything for the good i not